Well, good morning, and um, glad that you are here today. If I have not met you, my name is Tristan Kreider, and um, if you're new here, we just want to welcome you to Renewal, and glad you're here this morning. Hope that we get the uh, hope, hope that uh, Colton or I get the chance to meet you, and so if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Um, we are going to be in Psalm 23 this morning, so if you would like to go ahead and open up to that passage, that's where we're going to begin this morning, and... Um, Hopefully, we'll go through the whole Bible today. I know as, some, as soon as some of y'all saw me walk up, you were thinking about your lunch and wondering if you were going to have it. And I can assure you that you will. Maybe not at the proper time. No, uh, really, though, it's, it's a joy to be here this morning. I'm, I'm uh, glad for the opportunity to be able to be up here. And uh, quite frankly, some of the songs that we sang... Um, were real um, expressions of how I feel this morning, um, as I, I can imagine you could identify with that. Um, but I want to start off, and let's just read the text that we're going to be in this morning, uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There have been many books and many messages and articles penned about this cherished and beloved psalm. And quite frankly, it's intimidating to even read it. <laughs> um, I, I'm, my prayer this morning is that as we work our way through this and other texts that, um, that we might be allowed to see the majesty of God and see his gentleness, see his power and his authority, and yet see his humility. And we might see his strength mingled with gentleness and kindness and his fierce anger and wrath against sin and his mercy and forgiveness. And that comes as the result of it, the condemnation of his own son. And so, to be honest, I am not going to spend a lot of time on Psalm 23. I actually want to take a little trip or tour through Scripture and to see where did this theme begin. Because, um, for I don't know about you, uh, but this, this is a bit unfamiliar when I think about a shepherd. I've never actually met one. I don't know if you have. Has anybody in here ever met a shepherd? Raise your hand if you. That? Okay. So somebody, we know ranchers, right? You know, a rancher. Okay. All right. Well, well, I have, and I, I would love to meet one one time. So um, I, I think the thing that strikes me most about Psalm 23, though, is actually the, just the personal nature of, De- of David's testimony in here about God. He, he doesn't speak about God and descri- just describe him. He makes claims about the intimacy of his relationship with God and about God's relationship towards him. Um, he doesn't refer to all men in a, in a plurality. Like, he doesn't use us or we or our. He says, my, I, me, you. And that expression of David's personal experience with God, I think, is maybe why it is so cherished. 
and I think it touches a fundamental desire in every person. I know it does in me. And uh, to witness someone else uh, and witness that intimacy in somebody else. I don't know if you've ever had those moments when you see that kind of intimacy. It really, I think, draws out our own hunger and desire for genuine, authentic, deep relationship with our Creator. And so I think it really causes our spiritual palate to salivate, and it awakens our own cravings when we see that in other people. And so I hope that that happens this morning as we look at Scripture. Um, and so um, before we kind of get into the background of the, too much uh, the biblical narrative of this text and the imagery, um, I just want to notice that the, I want you to know something about the form and the transition uh, that we see in Psalm 23 here. He starts off with the statement that the Lord is my shepherd. He leads, uh, he makes me, he leads he restores. So we see that in verse 1 and 3, 1 through 3. And then he transitions, and it transitions from he to you in verse 4 and 5. And he says, you are with me, your rod and your staff. You prepare a table, and you anoint my head with oil. And so uh, what can we learn from that? Um, I think what we can learn from that is that talking too long about God, talking about him without talking to him, is an error. Um, it would be of little benefit for us or for others if all we do is talk about God. And like I talk about my wife. But then I forget, no, not behind her back, but then I forget to talk to her. Um, so I think we see this in the psalm, in this psalm particularly. We see this throughout the psalms, which I think is why it pulls at our heartstrings. And so um, I think if we desire the intimacy that David feels, we need to turn our conversation about God and turn it to him, not just claims of who God is. But I think, you know, with a statement such as, like, God is good, and I sense God's goodness, immediately what needs to follow is, God, thank you for your goodness. Because if there's a disconnect between our theology and our prayer life and our theology and our heart, and we don't feel the depths of those things, then I think that our theology is probably wrong or we're missing something entirely that's in crucial to what David is touching on here. And that that is God, is his God. And God says, you are mine. So, um, now in the psalm, I, uh, you see the shepherd theme. And so uh, we see shepherding more specifically the theme, or rather the Sorry, let me back up. The idea of shepherding and more specifically the theme of God acting as the shepherd of his people appears all through Scripture, all through the biblical narrative, from beginning all the way to the end. But God chose the idea of shepherding to reveal himself to us. And so I think um, that's significant. Uh, and what's really maybe on your minds is why uh, does he use a sheep as a metaphor for you? And so let's delve into that a little bit. I don't, I don't know if you know the answer to that. Um, but uh, we see sheep and we see shepherds. So obviously if David is saying, the Lord is my, what, what is it? Oh, wait, that not, we're not ready for that one. <laughs> Hold on, I'll tell, you when to, I'll tell you when to get there. We'll come back to that. So <laughs> I'm glad that's up there. Oh, <laughs> oh look, that sheep fell over. Um, so the idea of shepherd. Um, sorry, so we see this idea of shepherding throughout. And so why did God choose sheep as a metaphor to explain who we are? Um, now, I, I just want you to know, I did a little um, experiment. I, I thought it would be fun to ask some kids what animal they would want to be. If you could pick any animal in the world, I don't know what you would pick. Maybe you could put it in your head. But um, I, asked, um, I asked Audrey, she's six, and she said she wanted to be a cat. And I said, well, why? She said, they're cute. 
Okay, I'll go with that. Um, I asked Charlotte. She said she wanted to be a dog because they're loyal. Uh, the dog we didn't have, it wasn't loyal. It was, it was a pug. It was very unloyal. It didn't listen to me at all. But then I, uh, I, I asked Annabelle. She didn't really want to be an animal at all. She said, I'm just fine being a human, which I thought was a pretty good answer. But then uh, I asked Victoria, and Victoria said, um, well, I want to be a, a bird. And then Charlotte said, well, they only live eight years. So she said, well, fine, horses. And then she said, wait, wait, horses die. Um, and she said, butterfly. And then Charlotte said, well, they only live eight weeks. She said, oh, I don't know. So she gave up. Now, um, I don't think that, as, as I asked you that question, I don't think any of you guys said, well, I want to be a sheep. Maybe a velociraptor or something, but not a sheep. In fact, sheep, as you may know, they kind of have the reputation of being stupid, even though they're not entirely stupid, that is. They're not entirely unintelligent. Um, they may not be the smartest animals, but they're not entirely unintelligent. I think they get a bad rap. And, and in fact, um, I mean, some of the characteristics of, of sheep that we, if you, if you were to hang around them long enough, I've watched a few videos. That's about as close as I've gotten. I, I didn't want to get ringworm or something. So, <laughs> um, But I, I know that they're fearful of others, and when they get scared, they'll just jump up. And they'll run over and jump over on top of the next sheep next to them. They'll just bumble over each other. Um, they're also very prone to follow even the worst of leaders. Uh, they will follow a bad leader. Um, they're prone to getting stray. They get lost uh, very easily. Uh, they, have, they have to be led to other pastures in water. So if they're in a pasture and they're grazing, they, will, they actually form this, this grazing line, and they will eat up the entire pasture. And then when they're done eating, they, they'll just sit there without food. So if they are not led to a different pasture, they will literally just starve because they have feasted on the pasture and there's nothing left. But do they move on? No, they don't. They've got to be led to water. And in fact, they're afraid of rushing water. Um, so if the, the water is moving too fast, they don't want to drink out of it. Um, well, I think part of the reason is that they know that their wool, if they get wet, that, that, that's it. That's the end. They actually know that when their wool gets wet, uh, they're not going to be able to swim. Um, another thing, they require continuous, just full-time care and supervision. They're not easily trainable. Um, they, don't even, they don't learn from their mistakes, I don't think at all. Um, I was watching a video of a sheep got its head stuck in the fence. Actually, no, it was running along a fence, and it tried to run into the fence, and it ran along the fence and ran into the fence. And <laughs> didn't learn from its mistakes. Um, so then, um, also... Um, they can get cast down. So maybe we can get that picture up there now. That, this is a, what do you call a cast-down sheep. Anybody ever heard of cast-down? Raise your hand if you ever heard of a, a sheep that's been cast down. Okay, this is, this is kind of new for me. Uh, this is a cast-down sheep, not that one. This one right here. And so what happens is, is as their wool gets, you can see the wool is, is rather full on that side of the sheep. As their, their wool gets really full, they, they get a little top-heavy because if they're not sheared, they get top it, and they'll literally just fall over, and they get stuck. They can't get up. So this guy's like, what are you doing? <laughs> just move your feet over. No, that's a cast-down sheep, and actually, it's actually extremely dangerous for the sheep, because what'll happen is the sun comes out, and it starts to shine on their belly, and what do you know? The gases start to blowed. And then as the gas is blowed, what it does is it, it begins to shut off their air supply. So they will actually die like this within a matter of hours. Yeah. And so what the shepherd would do, if you have a good, kind shepherd, he would go, he would very slow, it's a slow process, actually. They have to roll the sheep over, and they've got to massage the, the stomach, belly area, and they massage the legs to get everything flowing again. Uh, and I don't know what happens after that, but... <laughs> But then that's how they would save them. Um, so another thing is um, uh, they also require a lot of protection from predators and thieves. And we're, we're going to touch on that later. But um, so I, I came across this interesting quote by a guy named an Australian author. Uh, his name is Banjo Patterson. I can't remember his other works, but you might have heard of them. And he wrote a little short story, and it's called The, the Merino Sheep. And so I just actually want to take a minute, I want to read a, a little excerpt from this, because he actually uh, is an Australian writer, but he's writing about his days in the outback, and his, his frequent interaction with these, I think it's pronounced merino sheep, I don't know how to say it, and so you, you have to stick with the verbiage here, okay, so let me, let me read on it. People have got 
people have got the impression that the merino is a gentle, bleeding, bleating, not bleeding, but bleating, uh, animal that gets, that gets its living without trouble to anybody and comes up every year to be, sh- uh, to be shorn with a, with a pleased smile upon its amiable face. It is my purpose here to exhibit the merino sheep in its true light. The truth is that he is a dangerous monomaniac, and his one idea is to ruin the man who owns him. With this objective, with this, with this object in view, he will display a talent for getting into trouble and, and a, genuine, uh, a genius for dying that are almost incredible. If a mob of sheep see a bushfire closing around them, do they run away out of danger? No, not at all. They rush around and round in a ring till the fire burns them up. If they are in a riverbed with a, with a howling flood coming, will they stubbornly refuse to cross three inches of water to save themselves? Oh, they will not, sorry. Uh, dogs bark and men may shriek, but the sheep won't move. They'll, uh, they will wait till the flood comes and drowns them all, and their poor corpses go down the river on their backs and their feet in the air like that guy. Um, a mob will crawl along a road slowly, and, uh, slowly enough to exasperate a snail, but let a lamb get away in a bit of rough country, and a, ra- and a racehorse can't catch him back again. If sheep are put in a big paddock with water in three corners of it, they will resolutely crowd into the fourth and die of thirst. That's, that's my favorite one right here. There is, there is a well-authenticated story of a shipload of sheep that was lost because an, because an old ram jumped overboard, and all the rest followed him. No doubt they did, and were proud to do it. A sheep won't go through an open gate on his own responsibility, but he will gladly and proudly follow the leader through the red-hot portals of Hades, and it makes no difference whether the load goes whether the lead, the lead goes voluntarily or is hauled struggling and kicking kicking and fighting every inch of the way. So my question for you is, um, I mean, well, first of all, a little observation here if you haven't picked up on this, but uh, sheep are a walking catastrophe waiting to happen, <laughs> um, and so uh, they're stubborn. They're always in trouble. They're capable of doing, quite frankly, anything that's going to kill them. Uh, does that sound familiar to any of you? I saw some of you were looking across at your neighbors. Um, so, so my question with this is, if that is how um, sheep actually act, and in this psalm, we're the sheep. In fact, not just in this psalm, right? As we're about to find out, then my question is who or what is shepherding you today? Because if that's the truth, we are indeed in grave danger without a shepherd, are we not? So, with that in mind, what I want to do is trace this theme of shepherding through the scriptures really quick, okay? So I'm going to try and go fast here, because some of you are like, oh no, here we go. I'm actually starting at the beginning. <laughs> Heads up, okay? So, okay. Uh, actually, I can't see the clock, because, okay, so I got to go fast. All right. So this, uh, this uh, motif, it, it appears less frequently than others, but it, it does paint a really vivid picture of God's desire for his people uh, to be ever satisfied in his presence, and it also paints a picture of his relentless pursuit and love for them and his power to save them. And so I hope that's clear by the, the time we're done this morning. God, as the divine cosmic host who created all that is, placed man and humans in the Garden of Eden, in the place where there was delight, in a place where they could depend on him and feast and enjoy his presence. And then uh, placing Adam and Eve into the garden, of, into the garden gave, he gave them some regulations for their behavior and the task for caring for God's creation and ruling over it in love. And the garden was self-sustaining. It was self-perpetuating and 
the human kingdom and the animal kingdom, they were all at peace in perfect order under God's love. And in some sense, Adam could be considered really the first shepherd in a way. Um, He was to be the shepherd and leader of all humanity, teaching them of God's goodness, leading and instructing them in his ways. Um, He was given dominion to fill the earth and to spread the glory of God and his goodness. And so in the garden, there would have been no shepherds, really, because they would have all lived, I think. I don't know, after what we just heard. Um, And so at least there's not a shepherd in the sense that we think of shepherds. Um, But Adam and Eve, they shared a forbidden meal one day, and then thus entered sin into the world, and everything changed for them, and I imagine the sheep too. Uh, In the end, it meant expulsion from the presence of God and the garden. Uh, But now, uh, now instead of leading, Adam cowered from fear. He was hiding from the presence of the one that nourished his soul. He was hiding from the one who once called him good, the one whose pleasure followed or flowed continually out upon him and his creation and who had provided him with the richness of the garden. And what was God's response in this moment? When Genesis 3.21, when God found them hiding, he says, The Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God's response to their evil was to make the first blood sacrifice and to clothe their shame. And so this had sin had consequences for Adam and Eve and their children, and in the wake of the curse, the ground uh, failed to be uh, fruitful, and so then by toil and work, they uh, bore crops by the sweat of their brow, and sin just wreaked havoc on the animal world as well. And so in this setting, this is where we actually find the first shepherd, as we think of a shepherd. In Genesis 4, 2, we see Abel described as a keeper of sheep. And he brought to the Lord, it says, and he brought to the Lord an offering of the firstborn of his flock. And this offering, being a blood and offered by faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11, was accepted by God. But it didn't get anyone back into God's presence or back into the garden. After this, uh, shepherding became a chief occupation for the Israelites in the early days of the patriarchs. And... For part of, the, part of their history, they were a nomadic and wandering uh, people seeking pasture to feed herds of sheep and goats and cattle. And among those who followed suit with that were Abraham, who was a shepherd, Jacob, Rachel, Joseph, and Moses. And sheep and cattle provided food, milk to drink, wine, uh, I'm sorry, wool for hide and clothing and, and leather for tent. And so actually... Um, Sheep and cattle came to represent wealth. And you see that in Genesis 24:35, when it speaks of Abraham, and it says, "The Lord has greatly blessed my master Abraham, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys." And so we see this as a sign of wealth. And so for, for the people of Scripture, this um, the idea of shepherding was really significant component of their culture and their way of life. Um, shepherding is mentioned over 200 times in Scripture, and the word for shepherd um, is often translated as feeding. So if you shepherd, you are feeding. Uh, they led the sheep out to pasture, and they led them to water, and they guarded their flocks at night, whether they were in the open or in the, whether they were in sheepfolds, and incl- which is an enclosure that they would keep sheep in at night. And we'll discuss that more later. They counted their sheep as they entered and exited, and they took, the, they took care of them and even carried weak lambs in their arms. Um, shepherds commonly uh, used poles to poke around in the crevices of caves uh, to scare out scorpions and snakes. And so the, the staff, or the, I'm sorry, the crook or the staff of a shepherd became the symbol of protection and power because it was also associated with wealth and prosperity. And so, uh, in fact, in ancient times, 
um, the the shepherd's crook came to designate, or sorry, the word shepherd came to designate leaders and rulers, which is surprising because we think of sheep, we think of some guy who's in a field, right? And the sheep, or sorry, the shepherd. I'm sorry. When we think of shepherds, we think of a guy in the field. And the announcement of the birth of Christ to shepherds, they were lowly men. But yet, uh, back in these days, they would have been. It, it, the word became synonymous with rulers and leaders. Um, and so rulers were actually described as demonstrating their ability to rule by their ability to pasture or lead their people. So if they could pasture sheep, they were very likely candidate for a good ruler because they could pasture and lead. Um, in fact, this is... Um, this is not even uh, just in Scripture. We actually see that there's a Babylonian king, which I can't pronounce his name right, but Hammurabi, Hammurabi, I don't know. Your guess is as good as... What, how do you say it? Hammurabi. Oh, thank you. Hammurabi. Thanks, Steve. Glad you're here this morning. Um, and so he called himself a shepherd. Uh, and you got, also, if you could put up the image of the next one. There we go. Um, so when we see uh, the Egyptian divine symbol for kingship was actually the shepherd's crook. And so you could see that. This is uh, King Tut's uh, sarcophagus. The Egyptian king, is that, did I say that right? Okay. And so you actually see the symbolism associated with rulers, just so you don't think I'm making this up. But the shepherd's crook was associated with rulers as a result of this. And so uh, so what does all this have to do with getting God's people back to his presence, back to the garden? Um, well, they, they definitely couldn't do it on their own. So how is God going to lead them or how is he going to lead us uh, when he felt so far away? Well, he promised to send a shepherd to them, a king or a ruler at least, a leader. And this shepherd would have the dominion that God intended, Moses, uh, sorry, God intended Adam to have but he would also deliver his people from the power of sin and death. And God promised to lead or shepherd his people through the wilderness of, of, a, the wilderness of a sin-stricken, barren world and back to the source of life, back to his presence. And so in Genesis 48, verse 15, if you have your Bible and you can flip to some of these pages, I'm going to be near Genesis for quite a bit. Um, 48, 15, it, it, um, we see that Jacob uh, senses God's leadership on his, on his life as he's on his deathbed, and he summarizes his life in a declaration where he says, God has been my shepherd all, long, all, life, sorry, all my life long to this day. And so then we see a glimpse of a, sh- a, a future shepherd in uh, Genesis 49, 10. It says the the scepter shall not pass. Oh, sorry, the the scepter. So let me start over. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And so we start to see these promises woven in. But over time, shepherding actually fell from favor. Um, and so, as the cultivation of crops increased, um, it was assigned, uh, shepherding was assigned to either hirelings or it was assigned to younger sons. And so, according to Genesis 46, 34, the Egyptians actually despised shepherds by the time that the uh, Israelites had been uh, in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. And so, um, one of the ways that God was uh, God cared for Israel was was by appointing human shepherds to serve as His representatives, and we see this when God called Moses straight from the sheep from the sheepfold. Moses was a shepherd, and he led his people to a land of abundance where he would dwell with them. God led the people through Moses. And um, there's many verses that describe how God leads them out from slavery of the Egyptians and leads them to the promised land. But I'll just, I'm just going to go through one here, uh, a few. Let me just listen to these. I'm going to truck through them. Exodus 18.8. It says, 
um, he's describing what God had done, and he says, and God, God went before you, or who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in cloud by day to show you what way you should go. So he was leading them out. And in Deuteronomy 1, verse 33, he says, uh, who went before you in the way to seek, or God went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night. Oh, I think I just read that verse. And to show you by what way you should go. Well, I don't have that verse available, but um, let me move on to Exodus 23. Um, right before entering the promised land, God gives them um, a word, and he says in verse uh, Exodus 23, sorry, 2320, he says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the, to the place I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. And so we see this idea that God is leading his people using a man that he's risen up. And here, in, right here in verse 23, he says that he is guarding him. Um, he says he has prepared a place for him. He's leading his people out of something to something better. And guiding, he's guiding them. He's providing for them. And he's leading. Sorry, I've got three words. Let me see if I can get them. I didn't write them down. Leading, guiding, and providing. And so we see these things over and over through Scripture. Um, one more that's really definitive uh, as far as God being the shepherd. It says in Psalm, uh, 60, I'm sorry, Psalm 78, verse 51 and 52, it says, uh, God struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep, and guarded them in the wilderness like a flock. And so we see God leading his people through Moses, who God rose up, but then Moses died, and they didn't make it to the promised land. And so um, this theme continues. And so along the way, um, it was, or sorry, with shepherds, their job as a leader was to shepherd God's people, the people that God rose and set up were to lead and guide his people and to protect them. And the imagery of a shepherd depicts really the responsibility of a ruler and their relationship to the people that are under their authority. And so um, his, the, the shepherd's focus was to be on guarding and guiding and providing for his flock. And before the promised uh, shepherd would come, there would come many bad shepherds. In fact, 30 uh, sorry, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, gives us a, pre- a very vivid picture of leaders failing to provide care for God's people. Um, if you turn there with me, if you have your Bibles, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have you been? Have you been? Uh, who have you been feeding yourselves? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And so we see the slaughtering of their own for their own gain, rather than feeding. I don't know if the verse of John 10 10 comes to mind, that the robber comes to steal, kill, 
and destroy. Uh, rather than caring for the flock, they treated them with force and severity, and three times it mentions that the sheep are scattered. They had no guidance. And so they were lost and they were prey for beasts, and they had no one, according to verse 6, no one to search them out. So God condemns religious leaders of Israel for leaving them exposed and for feed, uh, feeding themselves and for killing, for killing them for wool and meat. They took advantage of them for their own gain. The place, uh, God placed rulers over Israel to lead them out, but more often than not, what we see is that they abused the sheep and rejected God and rejected his authority. So then we have another shepherd come along. We see David. And so now, just as Moses, David was taken out of the sheepfold where he had actually learned how to shepherd with literal sheep. Ideally, a king is a shepherd of his people, and, if, um, and he's, leading, uh, he's, lead, he's leading them to live a life that's faithful to God and faithful to his covenant. And so, uh, though David had moral failures, at, at his best, um, he served the Lord with an upright heart and a skillful hand. And Psalm 78, verse 7, 70 and 72 say about David, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. And even the people of Israel recognized this in the time that uh, Saul was alive, and it says they said about him, in times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out, and, or led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Israel. David was leading out, and he brought them in. You get this out and the in, into the fold for protection, out to the pasture to feed. And so we see this shepherding idea running through all Scripture. And so um, David exemplified a good shepherd and he served as really a type, a foreshadowing of the Messiah. And after kings, or sorry, after, after David, um, there were, at best, less skillful kings and less upright. And Ezekiel strongly rebuked the evil, greedy shepherds of his day. And um, so in Ezekiel 34, we see uh, another statement about a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, 23 through 24, it says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, I am the Lord, I have spoken. That's a wonderful prophecy. There's only one problem. At the time this prophecy was written, David was dead. And so we actually see this ultimately filled not, fulfilled not in David, but we see it in Jesus. And Jesus is the final and complete revelation of the shepherd that God is. Jesus, who called himself the good shepherd and claimed to be the long-awaited heir of David, who would perfectly guide his people he is the beginning and he is the end. He is the fulfillment of this promise and the long-awaited shepherd that David speaks about in Psalm 23. And so in John, if you turn to John 10, chapter 1 through 11. Is it lunchtime yet? It's getting close. Okay, I'm almost done. So I'm getting... All right, John chapter 10, verse 1 through 11. Jesus is speaking here. Let me give you the context here. Jesus has just healed a blind man, and the Pharisees are questioning what he's done, and they're pretty angry. And so he's going to tell them some things that are going to incite, it's going to incite his 
uh, their anger anymore, but he is speaking to the Pharisees who do not believe what he says. So he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gates, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said, uh, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We see several things coming together in this passage. And we have a figure of speech here that Jesus doesn't entirely define for us, but there's a door and there's a gate and there's sheep and then there's robbers. And he does define some of those later for us. You can read on later, but I just want to point out a few things. There's, there's a door and the shepherd enters by the door and the gatekeeper lets him in. I don't know what that means, but he lets him into the fold. So then it says, the shepherd calls them by name. He leads his sheep out. He goes before them. He lays his life down for his sheep. And the sheep, about the sheep, it says, the sheep are in the fold, and they hear his voice. They know his voice. And they follow his voice. And it says that the shepherd knows them. He knows them intimately. And that the robbers are those who have climbed in, but they're not recognized by the sheep. And so, what makes a shepherd good? Is my question here. What makes a shepherd good? Why does Jesus fulfill the idea of the good shepherd that was to come? He's willing to sacrifice his own needs to meet the needs of the sheep. Four times he says in this chapter, verses 11, 15, 17, and 18, he says he lays down his life. Now Jesus' audience would have understood the sacrificial nature of a shepherd as he spoke about the sheepfold. So um, let, me, let me explain what a sheepfold is in the context of this entire um, metaphor here. When at nighttime they were going to bring the sheep into the sheepfold, um, or they pinned them, they, they often constructed kind of a makeshift fold, which is just the enclosure. The fold is the enclosure that the sheep would stay in at night. And they would use bushes or brush, or they'd use maybe part of a stone wall, and they'd create a, a U-formation in order to enclose the sheep in there for protection. And so um, they would take thorny branches, and they would lay it over the top of the wall or across the uh, bushes, and that did several things. It protected the sheep from jumping out, deterred them from jumping out, but it also deterred animals, predators from jumping in. It also deterred thieves from jumping in to hurt or kill the sheep. And you may be asking, well, why would they want to hurt or kill? How would they do that? Uh, well, the robbers, what they would do is a thief would climb in over the fence at night as the sheep slept and as the shepherd slept, and he would slit the throat of the sheep. And he would just heave the sheep back over and sneak out. As the shepherd awoke the next morning to count his sheep, he would find a bloody mess and realize he was short and he had one missing. Now, we see in Luke 15 that Jesus is deeply concerned about lost sheep. 
He leaves 99 to find one because he loves them. But often what um, I think is missed in this passage maybe is that the fact that in the opening of the sheepfold, it was created a little U, and there would be one place, one gate, one opening. And at nighttime, rather than closing that area in, the shepherd would actually lay his own body across the entrance. So he was physically laying his body to deter predators and to guard his sheep. So when Jesus says, I lay my life down for my sheep, this is the imagery that they would have understood. So the shepherd's own comfort were secondary to his sheep's safety. And Jesus, I'm sorry, in verses 28 and 29, Jesus states that they are with his sheep are with him and they are eternally guarded. So in John 28, it says, I give them eternal life that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus is calling to his sheep. His voice has gone out into the world And you and I, if you have believed him, are an extension of that work, of his calling, drawing people to himself so that they might come to him and find abundant life. And in Psalm 23, it says, You lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God is leading us, but where is he leading us? He's, why is he leading us? He's leading us to abundant life. But where, how, or how is he leading us? Jesus is leading us. How is he leading? He's laying down his life for his sheep, for the salvation of his flock. And he guards and he guides and he provides for them. But where is he leading us? He's leading us back to himself, back to the garden, back to the feast. And so in Revelation, we actually see this idea of the lamb and the shepherd uniting. In Revelation 7, 17 says, uh, there's a scene that appears when John sees those who have come out of the tribulation and they're brought before God and he brings together um, these two Im- stunning images of the lamb and the shepherd. And he says, for the lamb and the center, for the lamb and the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. So by laying down his life, the shepherd king became the lamb of sacrifice so that his sheep could escape death, receive abundant life, eternal life, and that life overflows as God's sheep come to him for the source of life, and they taste his forgiveness, his mercy, his goodness, his pleasure, his favor, his presence. And Jesus is the door. He is calling and he is leading his people. He's bringing them into feast. He's leading them out to continue extending the call, the invitation to come and be satisfied in him. And so I want to ask this question this morning. Is God qualified to be your owner, your shepherd? Does he meet the qualifications to have the rights to your life? And does he have the credentials to lead and to guide and to manage you no matter what season you're in and whether you're in the valley of the shadow of death, which some people I know are very close to that this morning. He is worthy.
I would ask you this morning to consider how are you positioning yourself, positioning your heart and your attitude in a way this week and right, right now, right now, in a way that allows God to lead you. Do you feel his protection? Do you recognize his voice? Do you hear his calling in your life? Maybe not just today, but throughout the seasons of life. Do you hear it? Can you look back at it and reflect and see and say, God, the Lord is my shepherd. If you're not sure that you can say that this morning and you just need to ask somebody, then please uh, catch somebody that you know and trust this morning and ask them that question. Matthew 25, 32, I'll close with this verse, says, before Jesus is speaking, he says, before God, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We all have someone. Also, another thing I want to say, we, you, you and I, we all at some point have someone to shepherd. So consider who are you shepherding this morning? Who is your shepherd and who are you shepherding? I'll close with this last verse. John, I'm sorry, Revelation 3, 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne.